The Bible reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. That's on page 1042 in the Bibles on the chairs. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John. Jesus began his model prayer with uh, the phrases, Father, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. And in preparation for this sermon, those are the two phrases that God has uh, prompted me to think about. I find myself actually over the recent, recent times, when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I get stuck on those first two phrases because they're so full of significance and wonder. So that's what I want to do with you this morning. Look at those first two phrases of the Lord's Prayer that were so familiar to us and we run through so quickly. I sometimes wonder whether Jesus really intended us to, to just rattle it off one after the other because there's so much wonderful theology, wonderful teaching, wonderful challenge in each of the phrases. And so that's what, what I want to share with you. And I, God has written these words in my heart to share with you this morning. So, first, dear Father, may your name be kept holy. May your name be hallowed. In his vision of God that Isaiah had, and we looked at that not that long ago, Isaiah heard the angels worshiping God with the words, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And you may remember when I preached this some time ago, I highlighted the fact that, that threefold holy is very significant in Hebrew. Because when Hebrew wants to say something is perfect, it repeats the word. And a good example of that is Isaiah 26 verse 3, 
when Isaiah writes, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. In the Hebrew, you will keep him in peace, peace, because his mind is stayed on you. And Alec Mateer, in his wonderful commentary on Isaiah, says this, but here, for the only time in the Hebrew Bible, a quality is raised to the power of three, as if to say that the divine holiness is so far beyond anything the human mind can grasp that a super superlative has to be invented to express it. And furthermore, that this transcendent holiness is the total truth about God. And so we, we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus, praying to his Father, starts with, may your holy name be kept holy. Because Jesus sought to honor his Father in everything he said and did. And at every stage shows his complete dependence on his Father. Very truly, I tell you, he says, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. I always do what is pleasing to him. And that's the model that he sets for us as he honored his Father. In everything he said and did and thought, he sets us that challenge to do the same. And then teaches us that every time we pray to begin by acknowledging and focusing on the perfect holiness of our Father in heaven. What are the implications of this for us? Well, when we read the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament... Every time individuals are confronted by the holiness of God, they're terrified. As Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 reminds us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Moses at the burning bush, Isaiah in the temple, Ezekiel, all terrified when they have a vision of God. And in the New Testament, when Peter, James, and John hear God's voice on the Mount of Transfiguration, they also immediately fall face to the ground and were told they were terrified. And here are words of Jesus that we don't often hear mentioned in sermons, which should make us all tremble. You find them at Matthew 10, verse 28, and at Luke chapter 12, just the next chapter in Luke, verses 4 to 5. I tell you, my friends, interesting, he uses the word philoi in Greek, my beloved ones. I tell you, my beloved ones, do not fear those who kill the body, but after that can do nothing more. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he has killed has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Hebrews 12, which is a great chapter on holiness, 
tells us that at the time the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And then the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 12 contrasts that giving of that old covenant based on law with the coming of the new covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus. And he goes on to say this, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that is Moses with the law, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? That is Jesus. And this is how the writer to the Hebrews concludes that chapter. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Absolutely. I've been some wonderful singing this morning. Thank you, Tom. To rejoice in that rescue that kingdom we've been given. Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and fear, for our God is a consuming, destroying fire. So when we come to pray the Lord's Prayer and begin, Father, may your name be kept holy, we are praying something of huge significance. And I've been reminded of just how terrifying and awesome is our holy God. And as we pray them so quickly, if our words are to have any integrity, we cannot avoid the challenge implied in the words and commit ourselves as far as we are able to living holy lives. We often forget when we read the New Testament and we hear Paul's letters talking about sending to the saints in Ephesus. It's a common phrase that Paul uses to describe the Christians. The word in the Greek is actually holy, the holy ones, the holy people, to the holy people in Ephesus. I think it would be helpful to change our translations to remind us the word in the Greek is holy. That's how Paul thought about the Christians. Here's Peter, who had to learn this the hard way. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he has called you, is holy. Be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Paul often gives advice on this, and it just seems to me this particular advice in Philippians is so relevant. It's probably more relevant now than it's ever been in the history of mankind because of the internet. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about it. Fill your mind with these things. What temptation we have to do the reverse, surrounded we are by internet, internet, internet. How we need to focus and seek to fill our minds with good things, true things, lovely things. Jesus himself, his teaching. And of course, it also means we have to be uncompromising 
in our battle with sin in our lives. Jesus is so clear on this. Two or three times he uses shocking language. Shocking language. Guide your eye out. Cut your arm off. He doesn't, of course, doesn't mean it literally. But that's the, the rigorous holiness that he sets for us. And we can so easily be casual about sin in our culture. We worry about being too zealous for God, forgetting just how holy our God is. So, first phrase in the Lord's Prayer, may your name be kept holy. May we live lives that honor you, our holy God in heaven. So we come to may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Theologians have written many books in trying to define what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God because there are a lot of teaching about it in the New Testament, quite hard to build a clear picture. What I just want to do with you this morning is pick out three things where it's, Jesus is very clear about the kingdom. The first thing he's clear about is that his miracles were evidence of the coming of the kingdom. Signs of God driving out evil, driving out suffering and pain, demonstrating that he was so much more powerful, is so much more powerful than any of the evil forces at work in our world. If I cast out evil spirits, then you know the kingdom of God has come among you. I love this saying of his, but the disciples come back from their first mission. And Jesus says, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Sign of God's ultimate victory over evil. Which, of course, was gloriously anticipated in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When death was completely defeated for the first time in human history. The first wonderful victory over the, that hold of death that has, over all, uh, that has a hold over all of us. And of course that glorious victory that Jesus demonstrated in his resurrection is something is going to be repeated many, many times when Jesus returns. When we'll all, those who put their, well, in fact, everyone will be resurrected, but then those who've been resurrected in Jesus will go to spend eternity with him. And it is lovely to hear reports of a number of people who find faith in Jesus for the first time recently. We're actually meeting up with two of the Chinese couple, beautiful, I don't know what they're here this morning, but it's so lovely. To see God still winning victories over evil in people's lives and drawing them to himself. What rejoicing there must be in heaven over what is happening here in Christ church. That's the first thing. May your kingdom come. May that ultimate victory over evil be seen. And may our lives at least begin to foreshadow something of that victory over evil in the way that we live. The second thing that Jesus is very clear about is he paints pictures which rem <coughs> remind us what an amazing treasure it is to be a member of his kingdom. 
like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And it's like a merchant finding this very precious pearl and selling everything he had to get that precious pearl. And I love, too, the picture Jesus paints of a banquet in heaven. Talks about feasting in heaven. Uh, and he uses the word literally, reclining at table. You know the way they used to in the Middle East, you, you used to lie down at table? Jesus uses that word, reclining at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wow. And Paul, and Peter, and John. And that's the picture Jesus paints of celebration. And in one parable, he compares the kingdom of God to a banquet, a wedding banquet for his son. And that reminded me of that picture in Revelation 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb when he celebrates the marriage with us, his bride. Unbelievable picture. The, kingdom of, the ultimate victory of the kingdom of God in heaven. So yes, first, it's a, it's a, it, the kingdom of God is, it, it reminds us of God's ultimate victory over evil. It's a great treasure that we're offered in Jesus. And then thirdly, and of course, Jesus tells us a lot about the entry requirements. The sort of people who will enter God's kingdom. And gives us a number of pictures. The most commonly quoted one, of course, is John 3. You have to be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And the only way to be born again is by putting your trust in Jesus. Very clear. But then he also uses another picture. A picture of a little child. He says that only those who receive the kingdom of God as a little child will ever enter it. That total dependence that a child has. It teaches that the kingdom belongs only to those who are poor in spirit who recognize their weakness and their total dependence on God. Those are the comfortable, if you like, entry requirements, but he also seems to set what sound like impossibly high standards. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious leaders, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And I believe what Jesus is doing there, and he does it on a number of occasions. He always wants us to remember that however many years we have been following Jesus, no matter how much progress we may think we're making in becoming more like Jesus, we will never be good enough to enter the kingdom of God. And we will always need, like the tax collector praying in the temple, to cry to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Ultimately, we'll be, we will be saved and allowed to enter God's eternal kingdom, not because we've become good enough, but because of His amazing mercy and grace. And perhaps the most demanding challenge He gives us when He teaches about the kingdom, He says this, Seek first. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek God's God's. God's righteousness as your top priority. Seek these first more than anything else and anyone else. 
In his parable about sowing the seed, another picture of the kingdom, sowing seed on different types of soil, Jesus warns us with these words, and these are words that have deeply convicted me. As for the seed that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, and the pleasures of life come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. Sounds like a commentary on my life. And I fear I am not the only one. May God fill us all with his powerful Holy Spirit and enable us to rid our hearts of the idolatry that can so easily take root there so that we worship and treasure and serve only him. Dear Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. And may my life more closely model the ideal that you set and challenge us with in this wonderful prayer. Let's just quietly take a few moments to turn to God ourselves and pray whatever God may have laid on your heart from what I've been saying. Thank you.